from the dark web to your radio dial. You are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200 WOAI. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. I'm joined uh, this week by Angel Crockett, the CEO of Inflow. And uh, the title of this episode is going to be Innovative Services in Support of National Security. So there's going to be some questions I'm going to ask Angel. And then she's going to talk about what she can talk about on the air. Um, and there's lots of interesting things that she can cover. And this goes into the, the broad area of cybersecurity going on in San Antonio. We have folks that are um, like the, the business that I run uh, that is focused on small business, private sector, consumer, all the way through to advanced cyber operations with the actual Air Force here. Uh, we've had folks on talking about what uh, they're doing over at the 24th and 25th Air Force here in San Antonio. Uh, but then there's also a whole ecosystem of companies uh, supporting those missions and other missions for uh, the U.S. government uh, in cyber type operations. So, Angel, thank you for joining us this week. Oh, thank you for having me here. It's a very interesting time to be in the cyber world. So. It's exciting to discuss it. So how did you end up in San Antonio? And then how did you end up in this cyberspace? So just uh, over seven years ago, um, we won a contract with the 24th Air Force just as they were emerging their operations here in San Antonio. So we had a, a great entry into seeing the early life cycle of cyber coming out of the IT. Yeah. And then you didn't live here prior to that, though. No, I was in Washington, D.C. with my former company when we won the contract. And so it was a very exciting time because cyber was kind of a buzzword that nobody really had a definition for, kind yeah. of like cloud computing back in the day. Yes, yeah. I'm sure people still don't know really what either. If you, This is one where even, I guess, industry folks can talk about all of these things. Because when, when many folks think cyber, it they you hear that and they still think, teenage kid in the basement trying to hack in and change their grades in school but that's not really what's going on in the the cyber world um, these days it's it's emerged as a a new uh, munition type in a way from the military perspective they've then it's it's now they're building offensive and defensive capabilities in this just like you would build in any other um, type of battleground Yes, we've come a long time from war games and other types of activities in the early ages of cyber, but the beginnings came out of IT operations with net network defense and how you would have a posture to secure your operations, and then it emerged in really to, okay, besides just defending, we need to go into an offensive posture yeah so. and for for years yeah the air force denied that they have any offensive operations and now they've uh, recently come out and, and they're willing to disclose yes we do have offensive operations we do have offensive cap capabilities um and i think it's important for folks to know that um because as you're looking to uh, protect systems uh and if you can't go neutralize someone else who's attacking you um, it's very difficult just to sit on the defensive in the, the cyber side of things and hold off attack wave after attack wave after attack wave. Um, we've uh, training lots of kids in that in Cyber Patriot where they do the, the defense and the forensic investigation. Uh, but it, the best way to really stop an attacker is to be able to go back at their system and take their system offline so they stop attacking you. 
Yes. Um, offensive measures have come a long way in which, you know, early onset, um, both with the legal ramifications and our political posture, we would not have been able to do the things that we do today. Um, and, and really, it, it puts us on a much more equal playing field with our offense. So... Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Um, and for those new to listening to the program, uh, we've had Congressman Hurd um, on the program here in the past. And you could um, listen to that episode on iTunes podcasts or Pocket Casts or check us out on our YouTube channel uh, at CyberTalk Radio. But we were talking there. They haven't really defined yet um, a international set of rules around any of these cyber stuff. And it's one of the things he's been bringing up in Congress. But what is a digital act of war? Um, if some uh, another nation comes into a U.S. system and steals information from that system that harms Americans, that isn't really clear what that is. If they physically invaded the U.S., came into there, stole the same paper records, and harmed American people from a, a, that physically – we might consider that an act of war. Maybe it's an act of espionage. There's all of this gray area, and there's not the level of conversation going on around it to really try to define this, um, and it, it needs to happen. And one of the, the ones that came up on that program with Congressman Herb was the, the hack of the OPM systems, which um, some of your employees were probably impacted by, and, and many, many others were. And I mean, that's one for me that's really hard because that the OPM system is the Office of Personnel Management. It keeps records of all of our government employees past and present in there um, and that likely impacted some folks lives because they may have been deployed in a sensitive area when that information was exfiltrated by uh, what's I think even publicly now believed to be a, a foreign nation uh, and then potentially used in a harmful manner and and so like is that an act of war is that not an act of war and all these these sorts of activities in the cyber world are not defined and it's it's a conversation that we need to have sooner rather than later it really is because not only is it impactful for operations, but it's also being able to have the flexibility to get in and do maneuvers and, and grow with emerging threats. Because our company, we focus on national security services that really have a, a parallel of how you would do um, offensive and defensive training, but also getting into combining old school weapons analysis and intelligence with cyber forensics and cyber intelligence. So it's a, a new way of looking at it, but because the government has older acquisitions and older ways of buying services, you're pigeonholed into the operation support you can provide because it's not allowing for emerging threat support services. And so that's one of the biggest legislation things they need to work on. Yes. Modernize the procurement process. So, yes. and, and this is one, um, I don't know if we've talked about this on the air. I've had conversations with a number of our guests about it in the physical munitions and weapons world, uh, a, an air force platform. So like they're still flying planes from, uh, 50 years, that platform may last 50 years. And now the um, avionics inside of the plane have been updated and changed over that 50 years, but that platform itself is 50 years old. If you think about the, the cyber world, a, an attack platform there may be uh, some uh, framework that you can hold attack tools in. Those platforms are a few years old at most, and the, the munitions inside of there, so in that airplane, you might change the avionics out every 5 to 15 years. Um, these 
cyber tools, though, you need to change them out potentially in a week or two weeks or five weeks. And the, the procurement process is not set up to handle any of these things. And it really has to change because the, the life cycle of a platform and the life cycle of munitions and, and technology for that platform is just moving it at a much more rapid pace. Yeah, acquisitions is still focused on defensive posture and IT best practices and standardizing things, things that were really important to the commercial world in the 80s. Yeah. Not necessarily now with what we're looking at. There's a you know a recent non-classified um, article about how the application, which is similar to Facebook for athletes, the Strava um, app. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. But it takes all of the new um, smartwatches that the military has been issued and is now tracing heat maps for their walks, their runs, their patrols on the bases, and is now a global heat map that's available to everyone on the Internet. Um, And that, coupled with some of the other emerging threats, could be very destructive and not having an understanding of the technology even that they are buying is also causing problems. Yeah, so, uh, and and this is a a complicated uh, topic. We could go on just about procurement for (laughs) uh, its own episode or maybe even for the the remainder of 2018. We could could talk about individual areas through that, but, and this is is one of those, and it's a a challenge now as we talk about some of these challenges, um, also from my perspective, uh, folks are like, well, if we have all these problems, how is the the U.S. actually doing? And I think if I look at our posture and capabilities versus uh, the other nations out there, we've seen all these Russian hacking allegations during the last election cycle and the rest of these things. We're uh, on par or ahead of all of the other folks, even with all of our challenges in place. So don't go to sleep at night worrying that uh, these other countries have massively taken a huge leap forward from us in the cyber world, but um, I don't think if you look at uh, traditional services, we have a, a significant military advantage. Um, we may have some advantage on the cyber side, but it's not as big as our traditional military advantage over uh, the other nations out there from my private sector sitting around watching this stuff perspective. So uh, we're doing well, but and we're getting out and talking about some of these issues and challenges, and hopefully those allow us to build and maintain a a strong cyber force so that as this evolves and does become um, something that is even more impactful uh, in the safety of our nation and of all of the peaceful nations around the world, uh, that it will allow us to keep that superiority and keep the stability we've seen across the, the globe for the last 70 years now. Well, and we are seeing some recent activities that are allowing us the freedom to be able to explore unique service offerings. And so Inflow has really taken an opportunity uh, on our own to take um, old school weapons analysis where you're looking at supply chain and manufacturing and some of the components and deconstructing and re-engineering it to come out with Intel. And applying that with cyber intel and cyber forensics for some of the new offensive things that we're looking at and also defensive. So an example was, you know, in a non-classified way, you know, in the Mexican cartel, they're taking UAVs and they're arming them with machine guns, for example. But we can then come back and create jammers that can prevent them from being, you know, used for 
weapons. Um, and the same thing with taking apart a, a, um, a UAV and, and hacking it. Those types of things are really an emerging threat that we're taking a look at to get ahead of for the military, which is nice. It's exciting times to get ahead of those types of things. Yeah. So in the, for listeners out there, UAVs, unmanned aerial vehicle, are the drones. So, so the little control things, you can fly around, you can buy one with your cell phone, but not the ones that the, the military are using. It's a little bit more complicated than that, or even those cartels are using ones. Maybe a little bit more complicated, but a lot of these uh, commercial sector uh, drones that you can buy now, um, and people are taking things like if you ever um, messed with remote control cars as a kid or remote control airplanes or any of those, the servos and the controls for those, people are, uh, I saw a YouTube video the other day, somebody took and, and mounted a pistol on there and took the kind of basic things you would do with a servo to turn the wheels in a remote control car and use that to pull the, tri uh, the trigger on a pistol. So it's not super complicated. You think, man, you've got to have weapons experts to go build these things. Not so much anymore. So, No, in a very unclassified way. My son, you know, he's getting into the drones and, and just searching for things that go along with them and how they can play in the neighborhood with them. There's a little prototype box called Icarus, and it allows you to take over your friend's drone and fly it for them and then steal it if you so desire to. And so those types of things that we're looking at that are toys could soon emerge as actual homeland threats that we want to get ahead of. And so our engineers and our cyber experts are working in a combined laboratory environment to really come up with solutions to prevent those types of events. Yeah, and as you think about those type of solutions, it'd be important for airports and other places that need to maintain air safety to, to be able to roll those out. And um, we haven't seen an incident at a U.S. airport yet, but as you go through um, I hopefully all the folks behind the scenes are are three steps ahead of what the the bad folks might decide to try to go do with with these technologies. Uh, but it's one that you can't centrally control any of this either. It's the all shortwave radio frequencies to communicate between the controller and the drone, and um, there's so there's no central network or internet or anything you can shut down to stop this type of of cyber uh, threat in a way. You have to have localized mobile response units or a blanket of response units that are deployed and rolled out everywhere to, um, from the get-go. Yes, and that's one of the biggest threats right now on the um, OCONUS overseas area for our troops is that IEDs have now taken a turn for the worse and been attached to the uh, UAVs. And they're not expensive UAVs. They're UAVs you can buy in Radio Shack or Best Buy and make them an IED, and um, those are the types of environments engineers are working towards getting those blockers so that we can prevent those types of activities from occurring out in the field, because they do have to be done out in the field. Yeah. So as you, you uh, hear IED, that's an improvised explosive device, and this is not just uh, a little tiny thing that's going to blow up. I mean, it, even like you, you hear the uh, Boston Marathon and that bomb there that was in a backpack. Um, some of these IEDs that are being deployed um, over in uh, combat zones are much larger. I mean, these it's not a traditionally manufactured 
weapon of war, but it's a, a lot of them are pretty damaging. You can see videos that the U.S. military has released. They're up on YouTube. If you look at a like IED and like a weapons convoy in Iraq, um, you'll see things that have, have exploded to the size where it blows up entire convoys. So uh, these are uh, now with technology being able to enable some of these what used to be suicide bombers, they don't have to actually suicide anymore. So now if you have a team of people with no morals and low ethics and all of that, they can potentially repeatedly commit these attacks instead of having to um, sacrifice their own life to do it once. And that's the majority of what our firm does is research and develop new ways of mitigating these types of events from occurring from an anti-terrorism and both on state side and overseas areas to be able to prevent these types of measures. Um, and it's an emerging thing, again, that is uh, a constant technology adaptation that must occur. Because each time we come up with one um, countermeasure, they'll come up with another. And so it's a constant cycle of new and improved ways of getting ahead of the opponent. Yeah. Oh, and and the yeah the speed and the cycle that you can change things in software versus hardware uh, it dramatically changes the game. Kind of back to that earlier conversation on the procurement cycles. There'd be some more freedom to do things more creatively. Well, and our you know our counter our parts have it's a low cost and low knowledge. The the types of things that you can develop now swiftly is you know. From night and day from it was, you know, five years ago. And there are kids that are able to do it. You yeah. know, my kid can do a lot of the development work that, you know, on a, a small device, it doesn't take much with all of the, the new technology out there to rapidly develop that all it takes is a few minutes and a few bucks and you have an IED that flies. Yeah. So, I mean, is, is the correct answer that we just stop the advancement of technology or do what's the what's the way that we we solve this for the long run we believe it's a lot to do with awareness i mean if the fitbits and all of the trackers that the military was using uh were uh awareness and training to the individuals and the commanders and the military to not turn on the trackers. There's preventive measures within the technology, but we have to advance ahead of it and put those measures in place before implementation so that we're not uh, having those types of things occurring. Yeah, and and this is as for folks that live most of their life in the, uh, the private sector, uh, not immune to these uh, misconfigurations either if we like the Equifax hack that uh, lots of uh, publicity around this the over the past year um, that was a database with a default password and a username on it for administrative access that was a uh, web framework in front of it that had not been patched or updated in multiple years leaving a, a hole that had been um, resolved uh, with software patches for nine months or more um, but that system hadn't been patched in years so you combine the lack of, of process to update and maintain the system along with uh, a improper process uh, from just a user credential and rights management and you created an incident where uh, some of all of our personal information, probably everyone in the listening audience, if you've ever had a credit card or a bank account, um, some now your information is out there somewhere on the dark web, at least some of it from that, uh, that Equifax uh, data breach there. 
And that also goes back to your question about what do we do? I think it's not pull away from, but move forward faster towards and invest more into our knowledge base and our advancement and doing more rapid technology um, as opposed to allowing that to occur from our competition. Because if we don't, um, there, there's no way to stay ahead of it. And also combining solutions and getting out of our own way of these fiefdoms that we've built. So one of the unique ways that we have created the service offering is taking an old school way of doing analysis with weapons and combining that with the cyber forensics. So now you have two components, you have even more intelligence on a single thing that you can then add value and prevent things from happening in the future versus one group over here looking at this component and one group over here looking at this component. And so really combining those forces to be able to use the best of everybody's knowledge to get a better job result out of it in the end. You're listening to 1200 WAI. This is CyberTalk Radio, and I'm joined this week by Angel Crockett. Uh, she's the CEO of a cybersecurity company here in San Antonio uh, with uh, your primary customers all have three-letter acronyms for, for their names. Yeah. Yes. We provide support services to DOD and other agencies. Yeah. So as uh, we're uh, heading into our, our news traffic and weather update here at the bottom of the hour, as we were talking before the program, it sounds like we'll be able to do maybe a little bit of story time. You've got some things that are, are um, unclassified now or, or de- I guess unclassified would mean it was never categorized. But now that these are things we can talk about, let's say, uh, here after the break and go through um, some stories of how is cyber tying into uh, different weapons and munitions and and really what is it uh, doing to impact um, the military operations around the world. Now, for your company and your business, you're, you recruit all sorts of different specialists, as you were saying here just uh, before that. You have folks that are looking at hardware and chemical compounds all the way through to um, computer technologists that are in the, the software, hardware, and the computer pieces as well. Um, when you are recruiting and looking for these folks. Uh, if we have listeners out there in the audience going, this is the kind of thing I want to work on, I want to be part of, what do you suggest they look into from an education perspective? So from a cyber side, I think the emerging technology and STEM, anything that can combine both the um, mechanics and engineering with the cyber components is really going to be on the uh, trend in the future. So I think anything in that arena, whether it's engineering with cyber background and take some cyber classes or in the reverse, um, be a cyber major with some engineering classes so you understand the component side. Um, and then on the chemist side, I have to say that's something that's a lost art. It's very hard to find. So anyone that wants to be a chemist with explosive background training, um, that would be a hot commodity in the future. Yeah. So if, if you're uh, doing chemical engineering right now in school or you're thinking about it and you're thinking, I'm going to go work for an energy company, there's other options and other career paths you could go down um, to both uh, work on some very interesting things and uh, help your, your country here in America. So if you're just uh, joining us on the air now on 1200 WAI, uh, you can listen to 
this full episode and uh, all of our past episodes online, uh, podcasting services via iTunes, uh, Android, uh, Pocket Cast is my favorite Android podcasting service, but we're basically out there on any of those, uh, as well as you can uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, find us on Facebook and Twitter, or uh, just go directly to our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. We've got transcripts uh, and uh, embedded links to uh, all of uh, the programs we've had on before. Uh, this episode, uh, just like all the others, will uh, go online on Tuesday um, after our broadcasting. So if uh, you wanted to catch this one, uh, wait till next Tuesday morning. Uh, it will be up online on February the 20th. And uh, you can hear uh, the whole conversation between Angel and I uh, about uh, all the things that Info is working on. And if you'll stick around with us here uh, after the break, uh, we're going to have some stories uh, about how this stuff is all tying together and uh, why this is uh, interesting both to, to work on. Uh, it's important for uh, us as a country, and hopefully if uh, you, again, are out there um, thinking about future career paths, uh, this will get you excited and interested in uh, cybersecurity. CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran, and I'm joined this week by Angel Crockett, CEO of uh, Inflow Technologies. Uh, so it, before the bottom of the hour break, we talked uh, broadly about uh, kind of what uh, you all do at Inflow uh, to service folks and uh, take care of customers here. You said that you've been in San Antonio here uh, now for seven years, uh, operating and running and uh, helping support uh, our uh, 24th. That was the initial um, contract that drew uh, you uh, from the Washington, D.C. area here down to San Antonio. If you wanted to hear that whole story, um, if you just joined us here after the break, uh, you can listen to uh, the rebroadcast on iTunes uh, or Android or on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com to get that full background. In this half of the program, we're going to go through and... uh, in some hypothetical worlds because there's lots of things that uh, Angel works on and that uh, folks in her company work on that we can't cover here on the radio. But I think there's lots of things we can talk about in a uh, public manner that can help get people thinking uh, about where this is headed and how to stay safe. And then also, as you're out there having conversations, help us advocate um, to get the changes needed so that we can stay safe in the public and the private sector and uh, from a national defense level and uh, all of those. So as we had covered a little bit in the first part of the program, you had mentioned the Mexican cartel mounting a machine gun onto uh, a drone. I'd mentioned that we'd seen like uh, kids taking, and this is kind of scary in a way, like but uh, stuff you would use to build a remote control car along with one of these drones and a pistol and, and pistol mounting and, and making a, a, a weaponized UAV or drone um, at this point. So uh, if you're, you're seeing these used, and we were chatting um, during that news traffic and weather update uh, about that's kind of scary on its own, uh, but if you start to combine it with other information, it becomes much more impactful. So uh, go ahead and share some of that story with, with our audience that we were covering there uh, during that break. Yes, um, it's, you know, it's a interesting topic that not a lot of people are, are using in the industry for cyber, but what Inflow has kind of created a niche in, which is really providing 
a combined intelligence analysis, both cyber and technical weapons, to optimize both the foreign and domestic terrorism prevention. And inside of that, things that are not classified that we can talk about, because everything we do is classified, are some stories on the news and how those things could be combined to be devastating. And so one of the, the topics I was um, bringing up earlier was the, the application that's Facebook for athletes and how the military men and women have been enjoying the use of this application to track their workouts, to track their runs, to do all of the traditional types of things you would do with a fitness tracker and posting it up and it's created a heat map that's now public. And that combined with things like the Mexican cartel news story where they're attaching weapons to a UAV and taking those two things and those components, um, you would really be able to strategically capture intelligence that's out there and public and combine that with a new low-cost, low-intelligence, low-impact type of weapon and make a, a very devastating uh, new weapon out of toys and intelligence that's on the web. So those types of things are, are trending and those are the types of issues that we're trying to get ahead of with new solutions like could we create a jamming technology to apply to UAVs? Could we get ahead of hardening the software that's on the UAVs instead of having it open source. Those are the types of things that we need to look at. It doesn't prevent UAVs that other people have, but our own as well. Yeah. So, so yeah, the military UAVs or even the, the ones that we can buy at the stores here to get FCC approval, maybe they need to go through um, some level of inspection and hardware testing and software testing for vulnerabilities before they're able to be sold. We saw um, the webcams uh, last back in 2017, there was a, a million plus webcams that were taken over and created a giant denial of service that impacted and took a big chunk of the East Coast of the internet offline in the US for about four hours. Um, and that was annoying. We couldn't shop online or browse, but that didn't, I don't believe, really directly impacted anyone's lives. So that, um, this, those type of consumer devices, there was a big talk after that. It's like, should webcams have to go through some of these different things? And you, you look at a drone technology, and, and these are all areas that are getting uh, talked about um, in the circles that we live in, but I, I don't know that they're getting through to the public policymakers yet to where they're thinking about um, what is the right type of, of rules and regulations around this? What is the right type of testing for these uh, devices to, to go out there? Um, and as we move from uh, this and like the UAVs and then or those webcams, maybe the most benign, the UAVs, very actively a big problem. Um, but many of the other uh, medical device systems, we've had some folks on talking about this as well of malware getting into like an automated insulin pump and uh, all of these others where these devices are connecting via Bluetooth and other protocols. Um, and yeah, how do you handle that? What type of, of certification inspection should these have to go through? And what type of patching, update, and maintenance should they have to allow? I mean, that's that's one of the threats we were talking about earlier, which is, you know, IoT items are becoming threats every which way you look. You know, there's new gadgets for everything you can imagine down to you have a, now a Google or an Amazon device in your home that listens to you all the time. Um, these... I don't have one in my home. <laughs> well, maybe my Android phone's listening to me. I'm not sure, though. Still on that one. But 
Well, you know, those are the types of things that are emerging threats, um, you know, going back to like, you know, just local law enforcement, not even on a terrorism homeland threat, but just local issues for each, you know, law officer and the FBI for things that were traditional types of crimes, such as kidnapping and other types of activities, you now have a higher threat level because every kid that's armed with a phone can be found through multiple applications that they have downloaded on their phones. And those types of threats, you know, the parenting community needs to be aware of. So that goes back to the awareness and the training and also the hardening of some of the software and having some education around what do you want to expose yourself to and what do you not, obviously you're knowledgeable so you don't have a Google or Amazon Echo in your home, but others may and I'm don't know top seller exactly this, this past what that holiday means. season. Yeah, yeah. Everybody has asked me why we don't have one, and I I can only say that I'm in you know cyber and intelligence. Yeah. I'm not sure I would hook that up to my home. <laughs> yeah. No, and and so you think about that location information. So I mean, most of our listeners have probably used a ride sharing app at this point, where you can open that ride sharing app up and you can see the cars around you and you can pick a location to hail yourself. So as a, an angel's hypothetical there from a kidnapping perspective, let's say I was a, a criminal and I wanted to build my my own kidnapping app, I could combine some different data sources out there and then I could see the location of all of the kids around me. And if I'd compromised uh, bank account information, other financial information, I could see the um, how much money their parents have in a bank account. And I could decide which kid in, in the area is the, the one that I should go pick up and kidnap right now. Um, and that type of information is all out there um, in the dark web. These are not things that are impossible for for hackers to get their hands on is uh, all of our financial information, sadly enough, or and even if it's not a real time snapshot of it right now, if they're going to have leaks of it over uh, our adult lives where they'll be able to see point in time or rough ideas um, about uh, what we may or may not be able to afford to pay um, to get one of our children back. Yeah, and the data is, is so easy to obtain. I mean, like you said, like Uber is an app that almost everyone has and downloads, and that one has the availability and the back doors into it to get that information. So it's those types of things you have to kind of watch, and, and those are more on the, the horrible threat side, but even on the silly threat side, like you just don't want a lot of that information out there. Um, and we have... I think there's a, a whole host of other types of incidents that um, awareness and education and um, upgrading the certifications like you were talking about on the software in a rapid way. Because the old school way of doing CNA work or certification accreditation work in the government could take a year to CNA an application. And by that time, you've got three to five versions that you're behind on these days. So that needs to be changed and altered to change the game as well. Yeah, I mean, back in, in the earlier part of my career, I was working in areas where we would send things through the FIPS 140 certification uh, for certifying an encryption module, uh, both the software and the hardware of it. And sometimes that certification would take uh, two to three, maybe four years uh, to go completely through and certify a module, and if you look at now and go back through the time frame, we certified lots of things that were embedded chips that did MD5 or uh, other things that you should not be using, RC2, RC4. If you're using any of those, if those sound familiar, 
um, in any of the software systems you're running right now, uh, you need to update, replace, and remove all of those, uh, or just assume that you're sending all of the information in clear text and not uh, encrypted or hashed or protected by um, any of those, or folks could be spoofing anything they're doing with those now. And this is stuff that's yeah, less than 20 years old. We were using those uh, out there uh, not that long ago in the grand scheme of the the procurement world side of things. So one of the other ones we were talking about during the break was uh, this idea of, so from a import-export uh, for real munitions, so whether it's bullets or guns or tanks or airplanes or all of these, it's pretty clear um, from a commercial sector perspective, who can we sell these things to? How does that work? In the software world, it's not very well defined yet. So like there's export restrictions controls around encryption and maybe certain types of software, but that whole area of the site, the idea of cyber munitions and can we sell them to an ally? Can we not sell them to an ally? Um, how does this all work on an ad hoc case by case basis um, can make it hard for um, us to collaborate or, or communicate with our, our partners. Uh, I haven't heard anybody really even talking about this cyber munitions and defining this more under the the rules and regulations for import export right now um and and it's a weird one where a lot of this stuff is open source so many of these things that you would consider a very high grade weapon so this in in the real munitions world this is a big explosive bomb this might be a brand new exploit um, in the cyber world, this brand new exploit can get into lots of different systems and cause lots of damage, and it gets released by a, an open source person. And as a company, I don't know if I can necessarily share that with a customer in another country right now. As a, a contracting for the government, you, I think, probably end up in some of these same areas of it's not really clear and sure what can we and can we not do on the cyber side of things. For us, it's very clear because we have contractual requirements for everything that we develop is always the government's property. However, for someone like Facebook or Uber or any other um, app out there that's creating massive software, capturing massive amounts of data, it's unknown to whom and how they can disseminate their data. And it is a threat if they disseminate it to the wrong persons and give them access to a lot of information that um, typically a end user is not going to know. I mean, you, thought, you talked about Equifax earlier. That was something that people used knowing and hoping it would be secure. But what they give away for free and they don't know what they're giving away is their location, their trends, what they do every day, where they walk every day, while it can be used for marketing. My favorite marketing professor said it could be used for good or for evil. And all of this data can be used for both. Um, and so that is a major threat that the government hasn't really begun trafficking or understanding how to control or what they should do with it because it will stifle innovation yeah. at the same time. So. It's it's interesting. It's in the we've got kind of the data wild west over here in in the U.S. right now, and then Europe. Uh, you've had safe harbor through to privacy shield, and now the GDPR that's going into effect here the the middle of this year. We've actually had a, an expert uh, on the program here recently, uh, where we did a whole 
episode on GDPR. Um, that's the new data privacy regulations in Europe, and it's kind of this right to be forgotten. What can companies track? What can it get used for? Um, can you ask them to, to get rid of it? If you wanted to uh, listen to that, um, look for GDPR on www.cybertalkradio.com. Uh, Van Lenberg and I had a very interesting conversation uh, about that one and how that may affect you as a uh, U.S. business, um, even if you don't have European customers, if some of your customers have European citizens as customers. uh, There's things for you to pay attention to with regard to GDPR. It'll be, I mean, from that innovation perspective, yeah, should we allow the collection of data and the combination of these things? Because it could be used for good instead of for evil. With the uh, location information, you could use that uh, in a, a crisis response or like in the hurricanes or the other things that we've had. If all that information is available and you can get it to um, an aid organization quickly, um, then you can help people with that. Or if there's uh, another uh, back in the, the uh, Haiti earthquakes back uh, a few years ago now, uh, there was a company that provided some real-time satellite mapping to everybody there so they could update and figure out which roads could you drive down, which roads can't you drive down, uh, where's a building on fire so they could determine how to get the, where to, to deploy and dispatch fire personnel. So that data and information can be used for good. But then it could also, again, yeah, be used for evil. If you could see, if you were a bad person there in Haiti, you could see which road was still open, and maybe you go roll a IED onto that road, and or you fly the drone with the machine gun on over to the road that's still open. So, it's a it's a complicated topic on on the increasing speed and pace of information and how you can do both good and evil with it. Yeah, I mean, last year, I mean, Texas was a prime example of using it for good. Right, we had loads of Uh, locals driving to Houston to help out with boats and they actually knew exactly where to target people because of cell phones and because of Facebook and because of all of the technology that was combining the use case of an emergency that we had a natural disaster where we had to come in and help people out and it was successful and and that is a great use case for where it's used for the, the, the right stuff instead of the wrong stuff. Okay, so we've we've had a, a intriguing conversation here. Now folks are going, well, okay, what am I actually supposed to do with all of this? So I think maybe we can close out uh, this week's conversation uh, with some practical tips for folks. So um, one, I'll, I'll go ahead and start with, maybe we can just go back and forth on, on some of these. So on your cell phone, uh, you can usually drag either from the top or the bottom, depending on what kind of cell phone you have. And then you'll see a little the little location pin and you'll see your Bluetooth icon, you'll see your little Wi-Fi icon. Unless you need to be using those services, turn them off. So you can just go in, turn off Wi-Fi, turn off Bluetooth, turn off the location information. Like when I open up a ride-sharing app on my phone, it's always mad at me. It's like, I can't find your location right now. You have to manually type your address in. I'm okay manually typing my address in on the app. Um, Not that big of an inconvenience to not have... Um, the breadcrumb trail of all of my location information being run um, all over the place all the time. So that's one. It'll save you a little bit of battery life uh, as well, but uh, it'll also stop feeding um, data out there to different places. Now, if you wanted to know how many steps you took all day, and you might need to leave the location tracking turn on. So um, it's interesting as you go through some of these back and forth, if seeing your number of steps motivates you to be healthy and exercise maybe you agree to leave your location tracking on to allow that but um, one of the things for me is is always trying to limit the amount of data that i am leaking out there to the world you're not going to stop all of it but you can uh try to minimize the the amount of data Uh, so 
what are your thoughts on on an idea for our, our listeners they could easily implement out there, Angel? Definitely. I would, I would take an, an back step and really look at what you are okay with being out there and look at what is relevant to you and important that you secure. We say this to customers when we're in a networking defense conversation with a client, which is what's really important to defend and what's really you're okay with people seeing, you know, decide that up front as an individual and then start to really protect those things that are important. So, you know, for your children, I would say that would be a high importance. So really take a look at all those apps they have on their phone and you can go through each app and see what um, apps look for those geolocations and so you can turn those on and off and see which ones are tracking anything on their phone and turn those on and off because each app usually has an off tracking capability these days Um, and then also look at all of the devices in your home and decide which ones may or may not cause potential issues you know your laptop for example definitely put a little sticker over your camera um, and make sure that and throughout all your kids' devices that all of those little iPads have stickers on them as well because those are things that can be hacked and you would hate to have someone watching your family from afar. Um, and, and to close out with some of the other devices, you have to really decide, you know, do you want that phone watch or that fitness tracker on your kid and what are they tracking and who can track that? And is that a decision you're okay with? If it is, that's great. If not, then maybe not. Yeah. And on the the app permissions, you can go through and you can look and see what permissions did this application request. And if it's a a game that your kid's playing on the phone, it probably doesn't need access to the microphone. It doesn't need access to the camera. These aren't things that if it's asking for those, it's only asking for those so it can collect data um, that you don't likely want being shared so there's many of these um apps that where they when you're in the game it turns the microphone on and listens to everything while you're playing the game the microphone's on and and it's listening and recording and they're doing speech to text and then they can sell that information to advertisers so your kids in that game you're sitting there at the the restaurant you're talking about you know what I'm, i'm gonna go shopping for a new car um, I'm thinking about a pickup truck, and then all of a sudden, you a few minutes later, you're seeing ads on your phone pop up for a pickup truck from a certain vendor, and that advertising company had realized that you're sitting there, that's your kid's cell phone, and they were in that game where they could overhear your conversation, so that app doesn't need access to the microphone. So go through and look at the apps on the phone and look at what permissions they asked for, like why does a game need access to your contacts list? It doesn't need access to all the contacts that are on the phone. Um, and there's been a number of data breaches where we've seen these troves of information that have been gathered by these apps um, ending up in the wrong hands. And that's just via uh, illegal hacking and theft of information. But um, as we mentioned a little bit ago, under the U.S. data privacy laws, it's all very allowable for people to collect all of that and then sell it legally to marketing agencies today. Yes. I mean, I, I can't remember the name of that game but it's the one where the Pokemon, where they were going around and doing the capture. And Pokemon this, Go. Pokemon Go, that's right. So, you know, an app like that, you have to really decide, is that something that's worth playing or not to have somebody collect all that information and also incur all of that data? Because it was all open the whole time people were playing that game. Yeah. 
you know, many of the, the apps that you use on your phone, you may be able to access through just a web browser session on your phone as well. So this is one to think about. If like you use this on a, on a basis, do you really need the features that are specifically in the app, or could you go into the web browser tab and access it? And on all of the mobile operating systems these days, you have uh, much more granular control over the security through the browser tab than you do through the app permissions. Yeah, and you can go back and clean out all of that through you know, a, a weekly or monthly maintenance to make sure they're, they're not leaving those trails in your computer. Yeah. Um, and then also another suggestion is, is really going through um, and making sure you're constantly changing those passwords because that was something that you brought up earlier. It's amazing how people create a password and keep it for years. It's, it's really hard to do that, but it, it's really essential in today's environment. Yeah. So if anyone's password out there is the name of their, their baby and that baby's birth date, it's time to change it. <laughs> uh, that's not a good one to pick either. But yeah, so it's often what you'll you'll have these bad passwords um, and it's a, a good one to go out there and change. There's uh, many uh, free password manager apps at this point in time. Be careful with the free though. Some of them are going to be collecting more than just your passwords um, and some of them might not be storing your passwords very safely. So uh, that's a tricky one. Maybe I'll have some recommendations for a, a good password manager here in the future. But uh, right now, I'm not going to name any specific one. But think about that. Um, think about picking different passwords. That's a, a great start. But um, just like you're walking around um, on the streets and you're paying attention to your personal safety in the physical world, when you're online and on the internet, you've got to think the same way because sadly enough, there are people um, in the cyber world that do want to do harm. Well, thank you very much for joining us this week. And uh, thank you for listening out there in the audience. If you uh, just happen to join us here as we wrap up the program on 1200 WAI, you can listen to this program in full and all of our past episodes uh, via our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. <laughs>